uh, for those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Derek, uh, and I am one of the pastors here, but specifically, I'm the family pastor, so I get to work with uh, Kate, and I get to work with Hope and Amanda, and it's such a fun time, but I also get the privilege of praying for her before she goes out to do her sermon. So, could everyone just lift up a, a hand as we uh, pray her into the message? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this day that... Uh, it's such a beautiful day out today, and Lord, it's just a perfect day for a message, mm -hmm. a message sent from you through Kate. And so, Lord, I just want you to be with her. I want you to lift her up to you today. Let your word and your message just flow through her. Uh, Lord, if there's, any, if there's any unease or if there's any tension, Lord, just lift that off her shoulders and let her be free uh, to just let the Holy Spirit flow through. And so, Lord, just let this message uh, I don't know, just take hold of people's hearts here today, and Lord, we just lift it all up to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and it's in the powerful name of Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Derek. Good morning, Zion! I'd like to welcome each and every one of you here or watching on one of our online platforms. Happy Mother's Day. What a beautiful Mother's Day it is. My name is Kate Garner, like Pastor Derek said, and I'm one of the directors here. I specifically work with your children. Uh, you'll see kids' ministry getting pied in the face, praying for pets long since past, playing games with glow sticks, getting messy and having fun, all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I get to be a goofball for Jesus and spend time with my favorite people in the world. And what an honor it is to be here with you now and share with you what God continues to do here at Zion. We are continuing the sermon series, Unconvenienced, The Breakthrough Life, where we look at the words of Jesus and that challenged his disciples to reframe what it means to love, follow, and obey God. We've been tackling some seriously hard issues like anger and murder, lust and adultery, biblical marriages, and the heart issues that lead to divorce. Jesus levels the playing field again and again as he knocks the air out of our pride, humbling us to where none of us can boast. Jesus does the hard work of calling out hard hearts with the promise of a better way to love God and love others. I encourage you to catch up on any of the messages you may have missed. Last week, Pastor Jason gave the topic of divorce and directly teaching from the word of God out of Matthew 5. Jesus was calling out the Pharisees and religious elite for their hypocrisy, as Jesus often did when interacting with them. Pastor Jason said that the Pharisees looked for the loopholes in the law so that they could have the appearance of righteousness while they were actually corrupt inside. I think we can all relate to that if we are honest with ourselves. I think we have all looked for the loopholes in the law that we feel binds us and what we want, seeking the outward appearance of righteousness, looking like we have it all together, instead of seeking the freedom that comes with the gospel by faith in Jesus. And from that faith, there comes a desire to live a righteous life, the breakthrough life, and be more like Jesus. We have all avoided at some point the hard work of calling out our own hard hearts. This week is no exception as we continue to look at the words of Matthew 5 and the words of Jesus. I was truly honored when Pastor Jason asked me if I would want to give a message in what I like to call adult church. Preach the word of God to tall people? You bet. Sign me up. There is no challenge that I could not tackle. Besides, no one heckles worse than a fifth grade boy. <laughs> I think I can handle the pressure. 
I told my Sunday morning class last week that they wouldn't see me this time because I would be preaching in adult church. I said that I would miss them, but that they could watch the message online afterwards if they wanted to. I told them that truthfully, I was a bit nervous. They were all very supportive and assured me I would do great. It's amazing how encouraging and empathetic kids can be. They even suggested that maybe I practice with them right there instead of that week's message. Really, I think they were trying to stall me and get out of that week's lesson. Children also happen to have amazing diversion tactics. Get the, the adult in charge talking about themselves. Get out of doing any real work. I laughed and I saw right through it, but I did give them a sneak peek in what I would be preaching about. See, in kids' church, we like to take these big biblical concepts and break them down into what I call kids' speak. We practice SOAP while diving into God's Word. It's an acronym that breaks down how to best read and understand the Bible. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. The second step of SOAP is to observe. That's when we look at what God is actually saying, what the context is. Then we use application to see how we can apply it today. How can this relate to me? That's kids' speak. So I gave the kids the kids speak of my message, and I said, have you ever made a pinky promise? They all looked back at me like, duh, of course. And I said, well, why do you make a pinky promise? Is it to make sure that the other person knows you won't break it? And what happens if you break a pinky promise? The shocked gas filled the air as the youngest students in the room could barely fathom what it would be like to commit such a heinous crime against humanity, the breaking of a pinky promise. As a side note, I'm a boy mom to a wonderful 10-year-old, and when we make pinky promises, I tell him, now if you break it, I get to keep your pinky. And that might be a bit morbid, but it totally works. He is not about losing that pinky, and he's not breaking any promises. Anyway, back to what I was saying. So I told the class that what Jesus says is we really shouldn't have to pinky promise someone to make them believe what we are saying, that we should say what we mean and mean what we say always. That the people around us should be able to trust us to mean what we say without the power of a pinky promise. They all nodded their heads in agreement and understood that concept. Of course, it's so simple. But how do we get lost from there to here? Let's turn into our Bibles in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, last week we covered divorce, and the topic of oaths naturally follows this discussion because it was one of the major legal issues of the time that the Pharisees and legal elite were abusing. Throughout this whole sermon series, we have been looking at, at Jesus' statements through the lens of the previous message, going all the way back to Matthew 5.17, where Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is not abolishing the laws. He is giving us a new standard of living, a new Christian ideal. Let's look back at exactly what Jesus was saying. In verse 33, Jesus is referencing a law that the Pharisees loved and knew well. Numbers 30. 
Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And also in Deuteronomy, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. The Pharisees knew the law so well, they were able to find the loopholes in it. Loopholes that allowed them to be corrupt on the inside while appearing righteous on the outside, as if they had legally done nothing wrong because they were not explicitly breaking the law. Here are some silly things that are technically not illegal. You can own a pet bear in Indiana. You can wear a spaghetti strainer on your head for your driver's license photo in Utah and Oklahoma. You can own a tank and drive it too, as long as it has no artillery. And driving barefoot is perfectly legal in all 50 states. Thank you very much, Mom. But owning a flamethrower is legal in only 48 states, with California and Maryland being party poopers. And while those are funny, the phrase, well, it's not illegal, should make us cringe. Stephen M. Kubler and Jonathan Beaver from the University of Central Florida said it this way. The statement, it's not illegal, is frequently used to justify an action that is morally questionable, but not formally prevented by any kind of law or rule. We want to catch the bad guys and promote justice. But how can that happen if we don't speak up and call out immoral behavior, even if it is, if it is legal? Jesus was often using extremes when calling out this, well, it's not illegal mentality that the Pharisees frequently used to get away with fulfilling their own selfish desires. Many rabbis did not consider it a sin to break a vow if it was not explicitly made in the name of God. So what do the Pharisees do? They start making vows to things that seem almost as impressive, swearing by things like heaven and earth and even their own holy city, Jerusalem. In verses 34 and 35 of chapter 5 in Matthew, we see Jesus call them out. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. They thought they could get away with it because it wasn't exactly an oath to God. And Jesus says, hold up, heaven is God's throne, so you can't swear to that. And what about the earth? He made this whole thing, and it's his too. And you think Jerusalem is your holy city? Well, that is the city of the great king. Spoiler alert, that's God's too. In verse 36, Jesus continues, And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Not even when swearing by their own life does the loophole work. They have absolutely no control over their lives. They cannot do something even as simple as truly changing one small hair from white to black. They were powerless against an all-powerful one. God alone has sovereignty over all things. Their own pride clouded their understanding of an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God who wasn't impressed with their tricks. Jesus finishes with verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus was calling out the heart issue, dishonesty. Why would they even need a loophole? Because they had every intention of breaking their oaths, of not keeping their word. They did not mean what they said, and they were not saying what they meant, but they didn't want to get in trouble for it. 
They let their pride of looking righteous keep them from looking at their own sinful desire to not be honest, to lie. And who is the father of lies? Jesus tells us when he is directly speaking to the Pharisees in John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says his disciples should be able to simply say yes or no without taking an oath. He says this because the Pharisees and others of this time abused the power of an oath. They had the intention to break the oath when they made it, and it had no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching states that it is better to not make a vow at all than to swear by anything when we have no intention of keeping the vow. But he is not saying that it is a sin to make a vow, swear an oath, or say, I promise. In fact, we see vows, oaths, and promises all over the Bible. And not just in the Old Testament, but the New Testament too. God himself makes oaths. We see it when God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis. We see it with David in the promise of Jesus' lineage, our Savior born through the house of David. There is nothing wrong with promises. According to the book All Promises in the Bible, a Canadian school teacher kept a record of promises while reading his Bible for the 27th time. It took a year and a half for him to compile all of his lists, including promises made by God to man, 7,487, one man promising to another, 991, God the Father to God the Son, two, man promising God 290, and several other combinations, including nine made by Satan. In all, they tallied 8,810 promises in the Bible. Whether men swore directly or indirectly to God, an oath was always a serious matter because the oath had to involve a condition or something that would happen if the promise was broken. Kind of like me threatening to keep my son's pinky if his pinky promise was ever broken. There are consequences to breaking a promise. I believe the primary reason why we're told not to make vows or oaths is because of the seriousness of doing so. If we don't keep them, it will be a sin, and we will be a liar. And being the fallible, imperfect humans we are, the majority of us will probably fail to keep all of our vows at some point, unlike our infallible God. In biblical times, an oath was regarded as a sign of loyalty to God. We see God's people are told to be making their oaths in the name of the Lord. Worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. When you make promises, do so in his name. They were invoking the name of the Lord behind what they were promising when they made these oaths. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord invoke the God of Israel. Intending to break an oath was basically taking God's name in vain, misusing his name, which some of us may be familiar with from the Ten Commandments. Exodus 27. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It is in the New Testament that the oaths made by God in the Old Testament are perfectly fulfilled. God doesn't break his promises. He always fulfills them all. By sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God had been faithful to the oath that he swore to Abraham, our father, and his promise to David had been fulfilled by Christ's resurrection in Acts. And it is God's solemn oath that ratifies Christ's eternal priesthood in the reality of the new covenant. But Jesus became a priest with a promise. God said to him, the Lord has given his word and made a promise. He will not change his mind. 
He has said, you are a priest forever. Because God gave his word, Jesus makes certain the promise of a better covenant. Clearly, oaths and promises are not the problem. It's abusing them that Jesus had an issue with. The New Catholic Encyclopedia says it like this. Respect for oaths seems to have been carefully preserved by the ancient Israelites. But by the time of Christ's coming, the Pharisees had distorted the traditional respect through their casuistry. Casuistry is the use of clever but unsound reasoning, especially in relation to moral questions. In short, they were twisting a sacred thing and using it to reason away their own definition of morality, when in reality, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And while we all may be sitting here thinking, man, at least I'm not as bad as those guys, let me be clear. Jesus may have been teaching to his disciples, but he knew the Pharisees were listening, and he loved them too. And here is a not-so-secret secret. We very often can relate to the hard heart of the Pharisee, and we have something to learn here as well. When was the last time you heard the phrase, I promise? How did it work out for you? If you are like most people, I can just about assume it didn't work out well. Pamela Meyer, author of Lie Spotting, gave a TED Talk on how to spot a liar. And in that talk, she says, we are lied to 10 to 200 times a day. And we ourselves tell a lie an average of one to two times a day. When was the last time you said, I promise? We say, I promise, because it carries a certain weight of truth that plain words cannot fully encapsulate. It's a heavy thing to make a promise. One psychology blog defined promises as declarations of intention that help strengthen trust between people. Human beings need to feel secure in order to form bonds and relationships. Saying, I promise to prove we are telling the truth is not a bad thing. It helps people around us to feel more secure with how much we value them and the task at hand. The Apostle Paul uses it often to prove the validity and importance of his statements in the New Testament. He does this in Romans, 2 Corinthians, and he does it as well in Galatians. But you don't have to say the words, I promise, for the implication of truth to be there. Saying, I'll mow the lawn tomorrow, carries no more implication of truth than, I'll mow the lawn tomorrow, I promise. If anything, the added I promise feels like a desperation. Perhaps we are desperate to be believed, to let the topic fall, to not have to think about it anymore, not right now, letting it be a future me problem, I promise. Something that you should keep in mind about breaking promises is that not only are you disappointing other people, but you are damaging your own self-esteem. This damage has direct effects on your life. It creates emotional conflicts. You lose honesty, and your relationships are poisoned by mistrust. Michelle Guilin, a writer for Psychology Today, says when we don't keep a promise to someone, it communicates to that person we don't value him or her. We have chosen to put something else ahead of our commitment. Even when we break small promises, others learn they cannot count on us. Tiny fissures develop in our relationships marked by broken promises. Sin leads to death. Broken promises leads to the death of trust. And the death of trust is the start of the death of a relationship. But why do people break their promises? Why commit to something you cannot do? Because lofty promises validate some important aspect of our identity, of how we like to think of ourselves. It makes us feel good to say that we can and will accomplish something. 
We like to be believed for how we present ourselves to others. It affirms what we want to think of ourselves. Pride. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jason used a graphic that showed an iceberg, and on one side it had low esteem, and on the other it had high esteem. And in the center, we had the esteem that Jesus possessed. We say yes too often and overpromise. We overcommit and underdeliver on ourselves. We truly believe that we will be able to do everything we promise to do, and we get carried away with the excitement of the moment. This can be a sign we don't have a good handle on our realistic limitations. We have an inflated sense of self-worth and ability. Unfortunately, our culture is so diseased by this mentality that you can say yes to something, but there is always an implied and unspoken unless something better comes along that seems to follow our yes. We say, oh, sorry, something else came up. Oh, sorry, I was with my friends out of town. Sorry, but this other really great opportunity came up for me. And we justify our flaky attitudes as if our time was entitled to us alone, as if we didn't already commit ourselves to something or someone else. Sometimes we don't say yes enough. We can seem really flaky because we're always ready for this next best opportunity. We never really say yes or no to anything. Yeah, sure, maybe, I'll probably make it if I can or whatever. Never really giving a straight answer so as to never, ever really commit. Maybe we are perfectionists, and if it's not perfect or I might not be the best at it, then I don't want to try. So I won't really commit to it or anything, and it won't really look like I care about anything at all. Maybe we are fearful of the infinite amount of things that could go wrong and astray, and I let my fear keep me from ever really saying yes or ever really going for it. I let the fear keep me from saying yes to the things that God has for me. Or there is fear of not being liked or not being enough. So I say yes to everything people pleasing my way right into burnout or resentment. Maybe I feel unworthy, and I am so unsure of myself and my worth. I might even say yes to everything, because I have no idea how powerful my yes or my no really is. Or maybe my no has been abused too many times, and now my no just feels hollow. Maybe I have no idea the weight that my words can carry. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus called his disciples and us to understand the weight of our words. In Matthew 12, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of his good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And James repeats this in James 5. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Jesus says a simple yes or no is enough because your words carry a weight even without a promise or an oath. For whatever the reason, we have all made some empty promises, and it is clear that Jesus is calling us to abandon every empty word to mean more with our words. People who break promises don't always have bad intentions. They might be dealing with some difficult personal issues, and they still have to work on their assertiveness, self-confidence, and responsibility. After all, we are all works in progress. Some people understand the weight that a promise can carry, and some people have yet to learn. 
It's important to mention that these broken promises affect the promise breaker as well. We can get weighed down by our own failures and disappointments. It can be really difficult to rebound from this realization once we understand the weight of it. Have you ever heard the popular phrase, hurt people hurt people? It means that hurting and broken people will sometimes hurt others, often subconsciously, unintentionally causing damage. We are hurting people when we break promises, when we lie and say one thing but mean another. People tell lies because they are believing a lie about something else. You may be making false promises under false pretenses. And if we drill that down even further, you are saying yes because you believe you can't say no. And you are saying no because you believe you can't say yes. And it is a lie. We can believe so many lies. Whatever the reason lies are why we break promises. So how do we break the stronghold of lies in our lives? How do we get away from lying and being lied to? With the truth. We need the life and truth of Jesus to set us straight. Jesus was calling out the hypocrisy and oppression of the Pharisees, not just so that they could have a chance to repent, but also that, so that his disciples and all future believers could have a framework to love God and love others in a better way. Jesus' way. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We base our identity in truth. We fight lies with God's truth and what he says of us. You say, nobody loves me. God's word says that God so loved the world he sent his only son. You say, I am alone, and God's word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You say, I am not good enough. God's word says, you are created in the image of God. You are his workmanship, made for good works. You say, I am unforgivable. God's word says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sin. You say, I am not valuable. God's word says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God always upholds his end of his promises. If you have never accepted Jesus before today and you are ready to answer the call to the promises he has for you, I encourage you to go to the prayer corner today and experience freedom from your strongholds. What Jesus frees us from is not the law itself, but the oppression that sin brings to the law. The Jews of Jesus' day were no strangers to oppression. Their entire history is filled with oppression and freedom and around and around to go. They themselves become the oppressors, oppressing people with the law that they loved so much they failed to see their Savior, who came not only to free them from the slavery of sin and death, but to free them from the sin of their own pride. Pride for keeping the law that they loved more than the God who gave it to them. It is our sinful desires that clouds the spirit of the law. When we break our promises, we are hurting and lying to our neighbors, the ones we are called to love. Breaking promises makes it so that you cannot be trusted with day-to-day -day commitments or even the big things you are entrusted with. People of all nations had to know that these men and women who carry the name of Jesus do not carry it in vain, and neither do we. Like the disciples, we are also entrusted with the gospel and to share it. Breaking promises affects your witness. You are seen as untrustworthy. No one can believe anything you say. 
It is better to say no if it is truthful than to say yes and it be a lie. It's okay to say no and it's okay to say yes as long as it is based in truth. Jesus calls us to be truthful in all that we say. And you have freedom in Christ Jesus to say yes to the hard things that God is calling you into. That you can say yes to that job, yes to serving somewhere, yes to that coaching position, yes to yourself, yes you are worth it, and yes you can do it. You can stick with it and stay committed because your yes means yes, and when you say yes, everyone around you can see it. They can see Jesus' light all over you in all that you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work is working as if for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Your words can carry death. Speak to others as if you were speaking to Jesus. Your words can carry life. Speak to others as if you were speaking from Jesus. What would Jesus say to them? How would Jesus respond? In truth, we should be living a life that is trustworthy so that everyone can believe what we say when we say Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We are people of God's word, and people should be able to trust that we are faithfully sharing that word. We are unconvenienced by the challenge of honesty. We are called to share God's love all over the world, but not just God's love, his truth and love. God's truth can be hard to hear and hard to share. We do the hard work of sharing the gospel and calling out our own hard hearts and standing by our word despite the lies that this world wants us to believe. It is not easy or even desirable to call out the lies that we believe or the lies we may tell, even unintentionally. It's hard work. Some of you might be experiencing the strongholds of lies and broken promises in your life. And before we all start feeling judgy and throwing stones at everyone else, Jesus levels the playing field for us all. Not even the Pharisees who loved the law could uphold it. We are no exception. We all need breakthrough. I know it can be hard to step into a breakthrough life. Being inconvenienced by by honesty is hard. So is saying that. (laughs) But in Christ, we can do all things. Thank you, Jesus. With the framework of the Sermon on the Mount and with the sword of the Spirit, our Bibles, we have the perfect tools from the perfect example to show us how to best love God and love others. Here's a challenge I want to leave you with. What life can you speak if only you could experience a breakthrough of honesty? What lies are you believing that you need breakthrough from?